Read about the Northern Wrestling Federation in the book presented by Russellville.com, The The Pro Pro Wrestling Wrestling Fault, Volume 2. Hear the story of Roger Ruffin, the man who trained Carl Anderson, Anderson, the Monster Abyss, Jordan Clearwater, Chris Harrison, Jillian Hall. Plus 45 other short stories including Jazz, Bobby Eaton, Kamala, Thunder Rosa, Mario Mancini, Scott Casey, PJ Black, Carrie Morton, Sal Renaro, Jeremiah Plunkett, Colby Carino, Bam Bam Malone, and many others. Get your book today at Russellville.com. Russellville. It's where wrestling lives. Are you a fan of pro wrestling, comedy, and combat sports? Then we have the podcast for you, because we cover that and much, much more. Do you like to debate with your friends? Do we have the perfect segment for you? It's the 531, where we take any given subject, break it down to a top five. From there, we debate it down to three, and then into that number one spot. If you want to get a hold of us, find us on our social media. Search Working Fans Podcast on any major social media platform. And if you want to find the podcast, search for us on any major podcast platform as well as YouTube. Working Fans Podcast. We put in the work so you don't have to. All right, everybody. We are live with the Working Fans Podcast. And today we got a special guest, independent wrestler that you may have seen on GCW, JCW, Beyond, Limitless. He's definitely been around the circuit. He is one-fourth of the Miracle Generation with Kylan King, Jay Onyx, and Sean Knight. And we're happy to have him on today. It's Dustin Waller. Dustin, thank you for doing the show, sir. Man, thank you for having me. Appreciate it very much. Before you even got into like the wrestling business, before you even were, were a fan what was like your early childhood like was wrestling always a part of your childhood was it like super in the beginning i i played sports when i was the, when i was younger and i started watching wrestling when i was about like eight or nine so me and me and my dad just got into it he it was like kind of he, he never watched it so it was more just something that he was like hey i see you know i've seen this on tv you want to like maybe try and get into it a little bit because i never really got into like tv shows or mm. you know watching movies and stuff like that so it just became like a small little hobby that i started you know just a little thing i started watching with my dad on the weekends going over there watching Raw, SmackDown, whatever pay-per-views might be on. And then it led to like, then maybe if Raw came to where I live in Connecticut, they came to the XL Center in Hartford, I'd maybe go there and then maybe going to, wanting to go to a pay-per-view. And then I was like, wow, this is like, and then it became like an obsession, like I, as everybody did with wrestling. Like, And then mm-hmm. when most people grew out of it in like the middle school, high school area, I just didn't. <laughs> and I just kept staying with it. And I was like, well, I want to actually like do this. And then there was like really nothing else I wanted to do besides wrestle. Okay, so the bug got you early. That's awesome. So at the time, who were some of the people you gravitated to, like in your fandom? Uh, well, when I first started, it was more just like obviously I, I started watching wrestling during the whole Rock and Cena feud yep. for, for for Mania twenty eight. So that's more really got me like captivated into wrestling. Obviously, everyone like loves John Cena when they first start watching wrestling because he's the guy that they mark he as their their top guy. So I would see this and I'd see these two larger than life people, and I'm like, oh my god, this is like really really freaking cool. I want to like just get into this. So I love. John Cena getting more into independent wrestling I, when I first discovered independent mm-hmm. wrestling that's when everything really opened up to me of like oh wait there's people that actually like are my size that are doing this so the first person that I really saw was Ricochet okay I went to a Northeast wrestling event and it was him versus Cody Rhodes and at the time I didn't even know who Ricochet was I just knew that Cody Rhodes was on a show in my town and I was like I want to go see Cody Rhodes and then I saw that he was wrestling Ricochet and then I saw I saw him wrestle and I was like wow this is this is unbelievable I've never seen anything like this on TV like I, I want to do 
do this now. Right. <laughs> it, brought, it just made everything like, holy, holy crap, I can do a lot of stuff now. Yeah, that's an interesting time. Like, because, I mean, if you look at that time period, I feel like, especially with Cody, like he kind of really, obviously the Bucks and, you know, Kenny, a lot of people were already kind of really making a market. But I feel like Cody almost kind of was that, extra ingredient that brought the independence to the next level like when because Cody was this guy that really kind of walked away from big money at the time and there was no AEW and he was like you know what I'm gonna go out here and make a different name for myself and I think that you know it's an interesting time to have been a fan I'm sure to see that oh absolutely because he was everywhere at that point like, he was literally going to any promotion that he possibly could and like a lot of people were seeing him so it, it was definitely cool to have that experience especially over in northeast wrestling which is very local to me so i would go to most of their shows and watch him wrestle like every month have you wrestled for northeast wrestling by the way separate i was just kind of wondering yeah yeah that that was that was like the one real like i guess you could say bucket list thing i had on, on the yeah. independent that was like the main that was the real like main company that i would actually go watch with my dad and be like we, we'd go consistently to these shows so like seeing guys like that i've literally watched wrestle and like bought t-shirts of and taking pictures with are like guys that I've literally wrestled now and that I'm actually close friends with. So it's just, it's pretty surreal. It's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and for those who don't know in the air, like Northeast Wrestling puts on some great shows. Like they get like top name talent from around the world too. Yeah, I love Northeast. It's awesome. You said, like you said, you're going to break in. So how did you end up breaking in training? You know, what school did you end up going to and how was that whole process? So it's actually so much harder to find a school than you would think because there's not a lot of wrestling schools around. Mm. Like most people say at the Northeast Wrestling scene is like the best wrestling scene and it is but there's rarely any schools around like you've got like the creative pros but those are in like jersey and long island which is nowhere near me it took a good amount of time but there are there's there was a school in connecticut called paradise alley pro wrestling and it's ran by paul roma mario mancini and i started there when i was a sophomore in high school so i was about 16 and my mom just said hey i found this school you know if you want to give it a shot you can you can do it if you want like my mom was never like obviously no mom's gonna be the biggest supporter of wrestling especially for a 16 year old who's just started high school pretty much sophomore year Mm -hmm. and i was just like yeah I'll, i'll give it a shot like why not like you know and then it was just pretty much just off from the races from there i just felt in love with it and i was there every single day every week and i was just busting my ass until <laughs> i guess now yeah that's crazy richard holiday is another com- uh, guy who trained in that school yes. right too yeah were you yeah, around the same yeah. class oh yeah he had a, he had a huge hand in myself and even kylon and haven's training like he's he's absolutely amazing like he's definitely he definitely took us under his wing early on when we first started like he would take us to shows that he would be on and try to get us on small little maybe pre-show matches or something like that and like most people say that you learn the most in the car right and that's absolutely the like the, the biggest truth because maybe you'll drive four and a half hours to go wrestle for 15 minutes like so you spend m- more most of your time in the car than you ever do even at the freaking show so like it's just those car rides are awesome and rich is just an awesome guy we love him he's awesome mm. yeah they say i mean you hear a lot of veteran trainers say too one of the critiques yeah. is that not enough people will go up to them and pick their brains and talk to them and stuff and i'm guessing that's something that you try to do every chance you get if you have somebody that's got a wealth of experience oh absolutely I, I doubt like but what's the worst thing they're gonna say is no I'm busy right now like you know, like I always just think of it like that like if, if, right. if I see someone like that's on a show I'm like hey I'm, I'm my, this is my match can you possibly like watch this if you don't mind and if they say yeah then oh yeah absolutely like the one guy that I will say that literally will watch every single person's match and give everyone feedback is Speedball Mike Bailey wow he like and Speedball is such an awesome I, I love Speedball like it's someone that like again someone that myself Kylon hey like we watch this guy on like we watch the PWG highlights and then you know we'd watch all of his work with like 
Will Ospreay, all these like top guys. And now we're like someone that he comes up to us in a locker room and says, hey, like, because he, he he now knows our stuff because we've been on so many shows with him. So he's like, this is what you got to do. You got to change this, do this. And like, he's just so, he just gives so much good feedback. Like he sees wrestling so differently. And it's just, he's an awesome guy. And there's so many guys on in so many locker rooms that will just like that, like giving back. And that's just what you, you love to see it. Yeah, that's awesome. What are some things, because obviously you've already gone to wrestling school. You've been wrestling for a little while now. What are things like you do to stay sharp? Are there wrestling schools you just stop by at? Or is it just mainly keeping busy with independent dates? Or how's it? It's definitely just getting the reps in for sure. Like I'm very, like me and Kyle are very fortunate to have like a solid, like maybe three to four bookings a weekend. So like, what, even if you don't get a chance to train, you're in the ring a lot the entire weekend. And then it's also going to the gym during the week as well well you know so definitely staying in shape health wise you know obviously diet and just cardio in general so i think the cardio aspect wrestling every single weekend is definitely <laughs> keeping up with it for sure so i'm just we're very fortunate to have those reps but like yeah if like if we're uh, I was already talking to like Kylan about like wherever in different places like we definitely just would love to just stop into a school and you know if it's like 25 bucks a session just go in there and learn from different people because you can always take something in from anywhere sure. which is the best part about wrestling you can never stop learning right yeah and there's so many different generations out there stuff like you might find somebody doing seminars we had Beyond Wrestling on and he was explaining wrestling open to us yeah. which I thought was a great concept he was talking about how basically it's almost like an open mic night for pro wrestling kind of people just sign up what has wrestling open been like for you man like wrestling open is huge for me like especially for me and kylan like we i don't know if we'd be anywhere close to where we are right now if it wasn't for wrestling open like we started we started going to uncharted territory for beyond wrestling about a year ago literally like a year ago this month and we were just we we uh shook crew they they were the ones that told us hey they got this like tag team discovery gauntlet and like just go you know just go help out and you never know you might get in there we weren't even really a tag team at this point we were just like me and me and Kyle, we, we, we came up in the business together, so we trained together. So we were like, it'd always be cool to be a tag team, but we started as singles guys. So it was just always in the back of our heads, like tag team wrestling would be cool. So we went to the, the uncharted territories and we'd just go there and set up the ring and do whatever we needed to do, drive the hour and a half just to sit there and watch a show and then it came to a point where like almost a month after just going there drew said hey there you guys want to face the brick city boys at uncharted and we're like um yep sure absolutely like <laughs> we're here we're like he's never like he barely even saw us wrestle once he just knew that we were just these guys that were just we we, we were there on thanksgiving last year and i think that's really like what showed him he was like wow like these guys aren't even booked on the show and they're just going to come and help out on thanksgiving night so and then drew came to me and kai with the idea he was like i have this idea for like this like this little this promotion like the wrestling open like he gave us the concept and like it's like open mic night just have people like you guys that just come and like give opportunities to people that show up and just want that they just need that one opportunity because all it takes is one match like and it, it sounds so cliche but it seriously is true because then we had the uncharted territory match we ended up going on to win the, the tag team discovery gauntlet and i think like wrestling open has definitely like helped myself and so many other people just like shoot their careers to the top and it's just so awesome to see it and people don't may not understand this too especially if not in the area but Beyond Wrestling, like their YouTube channel is like, it's the second or third biggest right now. Like it's like got 3.5 million subscribers. Yeah. It's within there. And as far as Wrestling Open goes, you have people stopping in like an open night. Like you have guys like Real Yuta now stopping in, John Silver stopping in. So. Yeah. And the guys like that, that usually come in, do seminars. So it's, right. it's, it's, that's another great thing is like you get to learn from them. And like it's, it's, I think Wrestling Open is just an awesome concept. And Drew says it every week on uh, every, every Thursday. He's like, everyone better stay here and like keep, consistently doing it before someone else rips off this concept because someone else is going to take it right <laughs> someone's going to try it because it's working so well and like i think right now in the northeast we're like the only cons 
consistent like a weekly wrestling show that's just going on weekly every single thursday like and he says it every thursday forever and he means it we're never stopping it's a fantastic idea i don't know like if people get it but like i mean like i've been a fan of this for years and like one of the common things you can draw to actually is like stand-up comedy in the sense that comedians have to sometimes alter their routine in front of different crowds or you know finding your voice and stuff and so open mic nights too right you have like your your greats that want to like work on new stuff and to me it's like an open mic night for wrestling it makes so much sense you have people like silver or someone who can stop in and work on stuff and you have all these hungry new young lions coming up trying it just makes a lot of sense yeah literally like it's 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 so it's such a cool concept for the fans as well because you never know what match is going to happen they announce a few matches but then you just have your poster announced as so and so is going to be here you don't know who they're going to wrestle but you just know that all these people are here and you're like oh my god what if this guy wrestles this guy or this girl wrestles this girl i'm like you never know who's going to be with who and then when they started bringing in like like you said like they're bringing in some of the names now like they're bringing Mm -hmm. in guys to do seminars and then work some of the younger talent like i was shocked when i when i ended up when i wrestled really yuda it was hands down the craziest match of my life like it was absolutely such a crazy experience so yeah it's i think wrestling open is just growing growing like growing so much and now they got their wrestling school coming up soon in january so that's going to be another huge opportunity because people are definitely going to want to go to this wrestling school now it's ran by ken doan and thomas antel so like two great minds so it's just going to be i I, like it's wrestling is awesome and i think the whole beyond legacy is like literally going to live on forever i think you're right now we have a question that comes i was actually going to ask you anyway if you'd had any major injuries or anything but one of the questions you maybe combine this in the comments wrestling is so hard on the body what does dustin like to do for recovery so any injuries and what's even if not what's your normal recovery process like i think the most serious like injury that i've had in wrestling was recently when i when i got my concussion Mm -hmm. but i haven't really gotten like a serious like like a broken bone or anything like that like a serious injury from wrestling but i think well actually like episode one or episode two of wrestling open i wrestled alec price and i broke my ankle Mm. so that was something but it's not like it's nothing like there hasn't been anything like career threatening right i think the the biggest was definitely that concussion when I got knocked out of GCW about like a month or two ago. And I think recovery for that was just, of course, like even the doctor said it, like you're going to feel fine in two days, but just wait as long as you can. Like that was something that usually like even when I messed up my ankle at open, I definitely came back way too soon. But that's different because it's like your ankle, like this is your brain. Like you can't mess around with your head because we've heard all the stories. You hear all the things that go on. So I took I took the month. I, like they told me to take two weeks because it was a minor concussion, but I took the month just to be 100%. Sure, that's awesome. Like, like it, just to be and i had other wrestlers who like also got concussions that were like t- telling me like just take the full time <laughs> like take the full time so I, I i definitely think the concussion was the serious but it's definitely take more time than needed especially with wrestling because it's such a demanding sport on your body that like you want to be 110 percent every time you go in the ring absolutely and you would you want longevity in this too yep. yeah so so one of the other questions we had here what was some of the best advice you've gotten along the way Ooh. I could say two. The one of the one of the best. It's it's just kind of a funny piece of advice, but it's more just it's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. Mm-hmm. That like I, I feel like that's just a piece of advice that people get in life as well. Yeah. But that's just a piece of advice that can work with literally anything. There's no exact scenario that that goes with, but always ask for uh, forgiveness instead of permission. It's always a good one. And then don't never be uh, afraid to say no. You know, right. like there like there, like there's always situations where like people think like you know oh, I might want I want to do this though, but I might want to get here. Like it's it's always okay to say no. It's not going to ruin any 
any opportunity that you might get, especially in wrestling. Cause like there's like, like, like now the independent scene is so <laughs> like demanding, like even just 10 years ago, it was nothing like this. Like it's, it's huge now. So I definitely think it's all right to say no in certain situations. So that's definitely a good piece of advice I've gotten. And what would some of your goals be for 2023? I'm not really a huge goal person. And if I was here with Kai, he has so many goals. Like he loves having goals now. Like I think for me, like my goal is just my next match and just making sure it's the, it's it's the best it could possibly be. Like the, the stuff that's happened over the past year, I couldn't even imagine was going to happen. So I have right now my my real goal just to make perfect is we got the rest of it coming up at the end of December, and I just want that to be be spot on. So I'm looking forward to that. I think you touched on this a little bit earlier, but we'll ask if you want to go into it. How did the uh, Miracle Generation kind of come about? Yeah, so. The four of us, we all trained together. Um, we all we all came up in wrestling together. I think I started there first, then Haven showed up, and then Kailan showed up. So it was like a, a good year span of all of us being there. And we all just clicked pretty much because we were all the guys around the same age group. And we all had the same passion for wrestling, the same amount of passion. Like we were just willing to drop everything and wrestle. So we all always said, oh, it'd be cool if we like start our own fashion and stuff like that. Like, that'd be so cool if we were like a group together or something. And when me and Kai were um, offered the Uncharted Territory spot, we were they're like, you guys need a tag name. We were like, well, I guess this is the time to do it. Might as well just say we're Miracle Generation because that's pretty much all we got. So we had, we ended up doing that. And then when Haven came into Wrestling Open, we ended up just going up to Drew and just being like, hey, like we're just, this is this is all of us. Like, can we just do this? And he was like, absolutely go for it. So he, he has no problem with it. And now everyone, everyone knows that Everyone already knew all of us were just traveling together. Mm -hmm. So now they just know us as it's just, it's just Miracle Generation. So, like, it's definitely cool to just have a small idea that we had when we were training. Now, actually, be this big thing like plastered on a platform like IWTV. It's crazy. Yeah, that is awesome. Now, it's, at, it's Dustin Waller on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Is there any upcoming matches or anything else you want to promote while you got a chance here? Upcoming matches, I think, maybe not, not matches, but we got this tag team endurance tournament that's going on Thursday at Open. So that's going to be pretty unique. I'm excited to see what goes on with that. Friday, we're going to be at Grind Pro Wrestling, Wrestling MSP in their tag team tournament. And I don't think we, I don't believe in anything Saturday, but Sunday we've got Fight Life mm -hmm. over in, I believe, Rhode Island. So that Fight Life is an awesome place. You got some awesome guys oh, yeah. there. So I'm definitely, definitely pretty excited. So yeah, got a good weekend of show so far. Yeah, people definitely, if you're in the Northeast, Northeast has some great independence. Oh, you can't really go wrong. Any merchandise you have out there right now? ProWrestlingTees.com says Dustin Waller. So you got Pro Wrestling Tees and I think that's it. That's about it for merchandise. Now I got, I got, I got my hats at the merchandise table. <laughs> got to get a, got to get a dot com website soon. That's all right. So that's good. So and I, I mean, it sounds to me like mostly everything you do goes into your matches and who you are, and you're living for the moment, man. I think it's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you all. I appreciate you doing the show today, Dustin. And we hope to have you back on again sometime because I have a feeling you're going to do really well in this business. I love your attitude, and uh, we appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. Welcome back to episode one seventy. For the Working Fans Podcast. You know, every week we are brought to you by the Pro Wrestling Vault Volume 1, written by Vinny Berry, available at Wrestleville.com, where you can also get the Pro Wrestling Vault Volume 2 with you on Amazon, you can get Potted and I'll and all that's left written by Ward Anderson, Blood and Fire, the Unbelievable Real Life Story of Wrestling, original script, Brian R. Solomon, How Not to Suck at Comedy by Pat O, Matt Memories by John Rezzi and Greg Oliver. If you're an artist, inner near connection. Etiquette and look studio time. Check out the great people over.
over at Connector. And if you're looking for some more entertainment on YouTube, check out our wrestling commentary home of New Heights Wrestling. This episode today is brought to you by the Pro Wrestling Vault Volume 2. Shout out to author Vinny Barry on another great collection of short stories. And how are you guys doing this morning? <laughs> oh, we're doing good, man. I'm ready to kick off some 1985 talk, baby. <laughs> 1985 now, how, many, how, how many memories do you guys actually have of 85? I, I've got vague memories of a couple. When I was looking at the notes yesterday, I'd say there's definitely like several events that just popped off the top of my head. Actually, funny story, because we're going to talk about 1985 here, but I'd like to close 1984 with something. There was an event, and I think it's going to play a part in some of the events we're talking about today. There was an MSG house show at the end of 1984 in December, which I don't think we covered, where Rowdy Piper ruined a uh, celebration for Captain Lou Albano, and he broke a record over his head and then ended up kicking Cindy Lauper, which was a huge angle, which will set up an event we're going to talk about later. But that actually happened at the end of 84. Wow, that's kind of surprising that that's something we didn't bring up since we talked so much about Vince McMahon really making that push for WWE come bigger and we saw the start of a lot of things that became home right. and that's why i wanted to go right from 84 to 85 because you get to see the story of pro wrestling unfold and you know it really was wwf's year again january 1st we have the first wwf primetime ref show is aired on the usa network featuring jack reynolds and jesse ventura as host gorilla monsoon would be the lead host by the end of 95 with ventura continuing as a co-host until being replaced by Keenan sometime next year. At this point, Primetime Wrestling was a collection of matches from the WWF syndicated programs, arena shows, and original matches, plus commentary on the matches and views. So I saw Primetime Wrestling visiting my aunt and uncle's house. I We didn't have USA Network in the area I was at the time, and I was like, whoa, what is this? I did not see Jack Reynolds. I have no idea who Jack Reynolds is. <laughs> that one actually escapes me. By the time I had watched it, so again, I would visit my aunt and uncle in the holiday so this has been December. I remember seeing Gorilla and Jesse as the first combination. And uh, yeah, I was remember I was like, wow. Because I was so used to superstars of wrestling. And they had like bigger matches on primetime wrestling. So I, I thought that was the coolest shit back then. Uh, primetime wrestling, you know, I, it was okay. Uh, I had USA Network. It's not my favorite. To me, it just showed matches for that were basically jobber matches and I, I just wasn't a fan of primetime wrestling. They had, but they had big names once in a while. No, though. they did have big names, but they were big names to a point where you knew Steel Hill was going to go over and they tried to make it a bigger show. I, it just wasn't my thing. I grew up on like enhancement wrestling though. Even the NWA, right? And I know we all love the NWA and I do actually, I love the NWA, but like the matches I grew up on, I didn't have TBS either. So I grew up on Here Come the Horsemen beating up some jobbers. Road Wars beating up some jobbers. You know, AWA, it was like, you know, you make it one match big AWA, but it was a lot of jobbers. And then you had WWE Superstars and Challenge. It's the same thing. So for primetime, like to have bigger names actually competing from time to time, that was a big deal for me. But that was based on the TV wrestling I was getting. In, in fairness to primetime wrestling, I was also nine years old and it was a nighttime show. And by the time it came on, I, I might not have been exactly energized <laughs> to listen to the guys that were coming on. Jack now, Reynolds. I wouldn't be 
be surprised if Jack Reynolds maybe did a month, if that, and then they figured a better host to move in. But a show that maybe had a little bigger impact on your memory, February 18th, 1985, the war to settle the score of match between WFWF champion Hulk Hogan versus challenger Rowdy Rowdy Pipes broadcast live on MTV. It's the second wrestling event to air on MTV with the brawl to end it all airing a year earlier. And the events of both matches played heavily into the main event match upcoming wrestling. Yeah, the war to settle the score. I mean, that's a big thing right there. They were on MTV. MTV was everywhere. Uh, It was was a huge deal in the 80s. Music television. What? You know, videos. And I remember just seeing, you know, Madonna, Michael Jackson, Cindy Lauper, obviously, in this case, right? All big stuff. And wrestling was getting involved. And wrestling was getting big. And the other big thing is the A-team. Mr. T is becoming a huge star. And the fact that as a kid, who I love the A-team, right? I love, you know, well, I didn't. I, I like Hogan. But, like, you know, all this big stuff is happening at the same time. We're going to have Mr. T, a guy who looks like he can kick ass, is in pro wrestling. I was very excited. And Rowdy Piper, to me, if you remember back, I said, was one of the few scary bad guys. And Mr. Wonderful was also right there. So, uh, AJ, I'll let you get there. But, like, all this stuff was, like, this was an intense show for me. One I still remember as a kid. And I was scared they were going to hurt Mr. T. There were there were two things about this that I, I remember very well. One is anybody who had been mocking you as a wrestling fan, all of a sudden wrestling's on MTV and people are like, oh shit, wrestling's cool. They're they're involved with Cindy Lauper. They're involved MTV. So all of a sudden it went from being this closeted thing that you're watching to popular. The other thing was Mr. T... Here's my first thought. Mr. T was always portrayed as this giant guy on A-Team. All of a sudden, he's in the world of wrestling, and he looked like he's half the size of the guys that he's working with. It kind of broke down Hollywood a little bit for me in that time also. As a child, that did not happen. <laughs> for for Dave, it didn't. For, for myself, it absolutely did. And it was one of those things you'd see later on in WWF, where when they became the land of the giant, people that seem small on WWF TV are giants compared to most other people or are above average height. But that was probably the first time that illusion popped for you. Well, it even even carries into today. If you watch like The Miz, who will be on a lot of different shows, or John Cena, they look like giant men on these shows that they go on to. And a lot of times they play, like The Miz will play a bruiser. The Miz is clearly not a bruiser when he comes back to the WWE and he's not considered a power wrestler or a brawler or... So it just gives you a point of view. Yeah, I think another thing with wrestling getting on MTV almost making it akin to rock and roll and really trying to commingle that. I think Vince saw something in that with, like you said, the Cindy Lauper tie-in. You've got countless other music tie-ins that have happened over the years. We'll the other, talk about it when we hit WrestleMania. The other one big thing from this too was, as a kid too, the police involvement at the end. That made it feel more real. When they had the cops in there looking like they were trying to break it up, obviously <laughs> they knew what they were doing. But as a kid, I was like, oh, man, you know, like I bought in. Well, it was also more rebellious it, with the rock and roll flavor. Having guys like Rowdy Rowdy Piper, Bob Orton, they were more rebellious. Dr. D. David Schultz, even though he wasn't on that event, you ha- you're talking about guys that are more rebellious and it went with the rock and roll flavor instead of your textbook wrestling like the Briscoes and stuff of that nature. Well, I know something that happened on March 10th of that year will hop both of you because Bill Watts Mid-South Wrestling 
debuts on TBS. Dave has talked before about his love for Mid-South. Were you guys watching Mid-South in 85? Ah, that's a good question. The UWF, that would have been towards the end, I believe. I think UWF finished in 86, so quite possibly towards the end of the year here, I saw some Mid-South. There were already wrestlers, even before the buyout, who would actually go back and forth, because even though Mid-South was its own entity, it was still under the NWA umbrella, and they did actually share talent. So you would hear, and you would see guys like Dr. Death, Ric Flair, these guys would still wrestle. You'd see the Freebirds, you would see different things come out of Mid-South. You just didn't necessarily see Mid-South programming. Yeah, Dusty Rhodes, yeah. A lot of big-name talent went through Mid-South. I remember when I did watch Mid-South, and I want to say the five, they had a show called The Power Hour, which showed a lot of like past matches, and I was blown away to see guys like Jake the Snake Roberts, who was wearing red karate pants, by the way, and Ted DiBiase before he was the Million Dollar Man, and just seeing some of these other competitors competing against each other, like Terry Taylor wrestling Kamala. It was just, it was very unique. One of the things that they would also do on some of the NWA programming is that let's say they didn't have a strong show for the week, they would go, all right, this week we're going to come to you from Florida Championship Wrestling. We're going to come to you from Mid-South Wrestling. So you would get a chance to see some of these other programs, just not necessarily as often as you would expect. Yeah. Now, March 31st of that year, the event that would change wrestling almost overall yeah. is the first WrestleMania takes place at New York City, Madison Square Garden. The Love main it. event meant to cash in on young mainstream popularity of professional wrestling and the rock and wrestling connection. Just Hulk Hogan and Mr. T versus Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff and involves celebrities including Muhammad Ali, Billy Martin, That's- and Liberace. The event is a huge success and began an annual tradition. So, well, to me, it? nothing said rock and roll and like a good old-fashioned fight like Liberace. I knew the answer is going. <laughs> Man's man. Listen, I got a little trivia question for you guys here. All right? I was looking this up last night when I was looking up 1985. Tito Santana wrestled the Executioner. Do you know who the Executioner was on this event? I'll start with you, AJ. I didn't. Give me one second. It was a Hercules Hernandez? It was not. Go ahead, Joe. You got, you got an answer? Playboy Buddy Rose. Playboy Buddy Rose. Not who I would think as an Executioner. Yeah, I, my mind didn't even go near there. No, me neither, man. When I saw it, I was like, what? <laughs> that man is just way too badass to be an executioner. <laughs> well, this card is really built around the main event with maybe a few. Like, I, I can say, forgive me, like, you could, Joe, you probably have access to the card, but Barry Windham, Mike Rotunda took on Volkoff and Cheek here, if I remember. Yeah. Well, I think the Andre the Giant, Big John Stud. Big John Stud, uh, Body Slam body Challenge. Challenge. That was right. a big one. And then this also would have been the card where King Kong Bundy, I'm pretty sure, beat SD. Jones it would have been considered record time at the time. I don't think it was, but they, they tried to sell you that. And then, yeah, those were like the main things. I think uh, Greg Valentine and Junkyard Dog had a match for the Intercontinental title. Okay, guys, we will actually give this to you now. So Gene Okerlin opened the event by singing the National Anthem. The oh, first shit. match was between Tito Santana and the Executioner. Following the match, King Kong Bundy, accompanied by Jimmy Hart and SD Jones made their ring- ways to the ring. Yeah. After crushing his opponent in the turnbuckle Buddy Pin Jones or Bundy Pin Jones next match was Ricky Steamboat and Matt Bourne Matt Bourne yep <laughs> David San Martino match. made his way out to the ring David San Martino I know this is a throwback card first chance oh, yeah. defense Junkyard Dog and Greg Valentine and when I was mentioning some of the matches on this card I remember Ricky Steamboat and Matt Bourne but at the time that didn't have any interest in me I didn't know who Matt Bourne was I would find 
find out more about Matt Bourne later. Well, Steamboat also wasn't the dragon yet. This was literally the Steamboat just getting to the WWE. Right. I think that's fair. I think he's going to start doing the dragon thing a couple months later here. And that match between Junkyard Dog and Greg Valentine. Greg Valentine's actually your Intercontinental Champion. He was. Yep. And I, and I believe that ended by count out. So that was a hell of a way to end a pay-per-view match. Yeah, this was just such an interesting card because it holds such like high reverence in people's heads. But if you go back and watch this, it can be a tough watch unless you're into that 1985 WWE. There was a match on that card that pretty much broke my heart as a kid. The Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov won the tag titles with the loaded boot from Barry Windham and Mike Rotundo. They broke the cane on Barry's back. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely terrifying to me as a child. That's uh, And Lou Albano was actually, was I believe, Wyndham's the manager head. of the U.S. press. What's that, Joe? That, they broke the cane on Wyndham's, Wyndham's head. head. The American then, Express, or U.S. Yep. Express, yeah. After that match, there was the $15,000 body slam challenge yeah. on Giant Big John. So, oh, there was a ladies match on this between oh, Lonnie Kai. Richter, yep, Lonnie Kai oh, with yeah. Cindy Lauper and the fabulous Mulan opponents. And then we already gave uh, Hogan and T versus Piper and Snooka with Bob Orton in one's corner, Jimmy Snooka in another's. When Snooka was still a good guy, that's a- well. No, yeah. this is when Snooka became a good guy in '84 or '83 somewhere. He became a good guy, and now the thing is, Bob Orton is to blame for things going wrong here. Oh yeah, that cast, that horrible cast. Ends up hitting Mr. Wonderful in the head, who gets pinned. But Orton and Piper just blame Bordor for taking the pin, and they just. Leave. Well, in fairness, if he had held the guy a little better, maybe he wouldn't have gotten hit by the cast. <laughs> Definitely. Now, in April of this year, the story from the year before kind of comes full circle with Vince McMahon selling his TBS World Championship wrestling time slot to Crockett Promotion nine months after acquiring the Georgia time slot and taking over TBS show. Yes. Yeah. And then I believe, what was the, what's the wrestling lore about the money from that? Was it funded WrestleMania? I mean, was it- I could have. I mean, yeah. I mean, the story is Vince gambled everything on the first WrestleMania. I mean, he yeah, was the, the other story almost. is the Briscoes sold out their shares to Vince McMahon, and that's how he was able to overtake that territory in that time slot. Yep. Now, on April 29th of that year, we had Hulk Hogan is featured on the cover of Sports Illustrated magazine on the issue with this day's cover date as part of the feature on the image of popularity and professional wrestling. Hogan, to date, is the only active professional wrestler to be featured on the publication's cover i that's major and like yeah. probably that was the first time and what they only recently started to break into espn yeah that's crazy i didn't realize he was still the only wrestler i figured the rock or someone would have made that cover by some point now i this could have been an older website too because when i saw that i'm like there has to be wrestling. yeah maybe, I'm curious. Maybe, maybe it was when he was because he was wrestling full-time at that time maybe they don't count the rock anymore because he's an actor now okay that makes sense now may 11th that year it's amazing how many big time shows popped off here because on may 11th the wwf saturday night main event debuts on nbc bringing pro wrestling back to broadcast network tv after a 30 year app then you know they they had a good run in the 80s they brought it back time to time yeah. since then it was a summer replacement for snl how yes. did, did you guys enjoy yes main event? yeah i could find this and these were my favorite things to watch as a kid 
period, because these were true main event matches, and we did not get anything like this on TV in my area. Not at all. Not until eventually when I moved up into a different location and I was able to see like Clash of the Champions and stuff like that. But Saturday Night's main event was like the end-all be-all for free TV at the time. To me, this was like getting WrestleMania for free. Uh, and, and to be honest with you, some of the matches on Saturday Night main event were better yeah. than the WrestleMania matches. Oh, yeah. No Could doubt. Could it almost be considered like the WWF Clash of the Champions? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it was before the Clash, but yeah, it could definitely, you can draw the analogy for sure. Now, I don't have a graphic for this, but listen to this. This was a TV taping on June 17th, 1985. Listen to all the things that happened on this one. Terry Funk makes his WWF debut, memory leading up. Attendant Mel Phillips. Oh, yeah. Macho <laughs> Man Randy Savage makes debut in the WWF. Bush does air heel. Immediately, a storyline is starting with all these heel managers mm-hmm. trying to become his manager and it eventually being Elizabeth. And Barry Windham and Mike Rotunda regain the WWF Tag Team Championship, Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. This yeah. is Fred Blassie's last managerial championship prior to his retirement. Yeah, I mean, all that stuff I remember very well as a kid. The managers chasing down Savage, especially. Uh, I definitely remember Terry funk beating up Mel Phillips who was an African American and they definitely they do that angle today no attacking Mel Phillips or attacking a child no attacking in the way they attacked him you watch that event it's very clear that this is a white Texan beating the shit out of a black man for being black well what happened was Mel Phillips had Terry Funk's ring gear and was carrying it away oh yeah took his cowboy hat and put it on because he had no room in his arm I like to think Terry Funk doing street just for all the kids that Mel Phillips got after. I would yeah, say yeah. allegedly, but I think this point it's no, it's pretty clear cut at this point. I don't think anybody well, feels bad for Mel Mel Phillips the person. The, but the well, angle though, if you go back to like an episode of Tuesday Night Titans, Terry Vince is there to like Terry's saloon or whatever, and they have like Alfred Hayes, and Terry is basically looking at Alfred like, "Why did you bring him here? Why I don't want him?" Like they they made Terry kind of a racist in this did angle. The same so. thing with JYD did the same thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you could not play that angle today. It was GYD that came to the aid of Mel Phillips, I made to say. Yeah. yeah. I would like to bring something up because I know that we're basically just reading from WWE.com for news today. But I've got from the timeline, but on May 10th, you had New Japan Pro Wrestling had the IWGP League. And this was a tournament that went on to all the way till June 15th. The final of this tournament, we don't have to go deep dive into it, but tell me this doesn't sound fun. Andre the Giant versus Tatsumi Fujinami was the main event of that tournament when it was all said and done. That sounds like a pretty big event in New Japan history. That's still a time when WWF was frequently working with New Japan. Like, and that continued, what, into the early... Yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up because WWE was not known for working with other companies. However, they didn't see Japanese companies as a threat because they were so far away and they weren't universal yet. So they um, had no problem with working with them. So this is... 85, right? And now we're literally, what, 95, 05, 15. Uh, so 37 years later, and we're finally starting to see more of this where Carl Anderson is going to go back to New Japan to defend his open weight title, probably drop it. And we got Nakamura against Muda on an upcoming show. That's part of that, you know? Pro Wrestling Noah. Pro Wrestling Noah, yep. And Conan, he was on his podcast recently, said that for years, for years, he would ask, he said he would beg, plead, hey, maybe Maybe get some WWE guys, you know, whoever you got, you know, some Spanish guys on these AAA shows, you know, even if this is something. And he said, finally, this year, they let Rey Mysterio open up Triple 
media with a video interview. And he said that's the first time they ever did that. And that was a huge pop in Mexico. And, and that's one of the reasons why I want to bring up this event, because it was one of those events. First of all, two historic legends going head to head in the final. But secondly, you went so long without the WWE <laughs> playing well with others. It, it's kind of a fascinating thing. Yes. Now, listen how far we've come in wrestling since July 2nd, 1985. Pro Wrestling Illustrated and its sister publication reinstate world title recognition to the World Wrestling Federation. Wow. Magazine. <laughs> That's wow. funny. Let me- I mean, it shows you how sometimes other wrestling companies don't view WWF as wrestling. They see well, their entertainment, so sometimes... So, too, one thing, when you just said that, totally triggered a memory. AJ's going to know what I'm talking about because we watched this on some of the Golden Era tapes that got passed around or Mid-South tapes, but Bill Watts would actually routinely say on his show that we're athletes here. We're not some cartoon character. We're not some macabre circus. Like, we are real wrestlers here and real fighters. Yeah, me and my friend Kay Fabe were having this discussion earlier, and <laughs> it's just a different time period now. Now we recognize that they're athletes and entertainers, not just one or the other. Go ahead. I was going to say, it's funny that you bring up cartoons, because on September uh. 14th, of 1985, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, a Saturday morning cartoon aimed to cash in on the popularity of a professional wrestling and the Rock and Wrestling Connection, debuts on CBS for the start of a two-year run. I got two names to throw at you. Who voiced Hulk Hogan and who voiced Junkyard Dog? No clue. I would have thought they just did it themselves. <laughs> I never followed up on this. As a kid, I liked the cartoon because it was wrestlers, but they never like did a ton of them. I think I don't know how many episodes they did, but I never felt like it was a lot. I never watched the cartoon. If I wanted to watch a cartoon WWE, I would have turned on primetime wrestling. <laughs> well, Raymond's brother, Brad Garrett, voiced Hulk Hogan oh. and Uncle Phil James Avery. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's what that and, man's going to be known for from now on. From <laughs> And in 1985, you see a lot more of now that Vince gaining popularity, just getting more in mainstream. Yes. If you look at November, the wrestling album is released on Epic oh, yeah. Records and consisted of entrance themes, a lot of them performed by Rick Derringer and or WWF's other personalities. I, I know one of you two guys is going to get this, but Real American was not Hulk Hogan's original theme. No. Who first rocked? Hogan's first theme that he came out to was I Had a Tiger. Yep, yeah, but who was Real well, Rick American? Rick Derringer is the singer for, for the, Rick Derringer who, who was used the it singer? as an entrance. Oh, oh, oh it it no, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. Interesting. So wait, somebody else came out to Real American? It was meant for somebody else. I don't know how many times I know, they actually did. I know the U.S. Express came out to Born in the USA. Yeah. They actually, Real American was meant for them before it was oh, put on Hulk Hogan. So could their career have popped off bigger had, had they had Mary? And how much yeah. was Real American instrumental Hogan? That worked perfect for Hogan. And it was also based on a lot of the characters they were feeding him. Nikolai Volkov, the Iron Sheik, and the popularity of Hogan. I would argue Hogan probably made Real American more than the other way around. But. I'm also not going to sit here and let you besmirch the name of IRS. That man became a legend to suggest <laughs> that anything could have made 
him more of an icon is just ridiculous. Only two things for certain. certain. Death in Texas. Now, as we get closer to the end of the year, November 7th, the Wrestling Classic becomes the WWF's first supercard with widespread availability on pay-per-view. It consisted of a 16-wrestler single elimination tournament plus a non-tournament match with Hulk Hogan versus Roddy Pipe. Did they give away a car on this show? I was trying to look that up last night, and I don't know if I saw that. I, In my memory, I thought they gave away like a Rolls Royce or something in this guy. I, I can't remember exactly. I didn't go back and watch it. I'm it JYD beat, beat Macho Man by a count out in this. I remember this. There was something the King of the Ring tournament on like house shows. Like at Foxborough Mass, there was a King of the Ring tournament that year too. That, Don that, was, July, that was July 8th. That was following up after the Great he's got American Pass yeah. on July 6th. I was gonna the up, by the way, the main event for that King of the Ring, Nikolai Volkov going for the heavyweight championship oh, against Hulk Hogan, yeah. the real American. <laughs> yeah. Now, I've got one last thing left on this year, but AJ, were there any other events that you found that I had it. skipped over? Well, I, mean, we, I mean, we got the Great American Bash. That, that's one of the biggest events in the history of wrestling. But, that, that actually was Dusty Rhodes defeating Tully Blanchard in a steel cage. Then, of course, I'm sure you've got it there, Starcade 85 is my favorite Starcade of all of the Starcades. So that's a hard one to actually pass There's also by. a house show. You might have it in East Rutherford, New Jersey, where NWA AWA wrestlers got together for another show. They had done this before, too. It was that called happened. Star Wars. There you go. And that was Stan Hansen defeating Rick Martel yes. to win the AWA championship. Now, what happened was he put him in the Boston Crab and kept pushing his head against the turnbuckle. So Martel actually couldn't kick out of the Boston Crab. And finally, Martel had to pass out with the Boston Crab. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I had a feeling I know what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, you're looking at it. That's fine. <laughs> Uh, there might be one other thing too that I'm forgetting about too, but I looked up. But there was some, yeah, it was very interesting to see just some of these house shows that I uh, got. Oh. I believe they had the second David Von Erich Parade of Champions that year, too. They did. That was actually earlier in the year. I want to say that was around May, if I'm correct. All right. Now, the last TV thing that I've got relating to this year, December 5th, the pilot episode for uh, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling wow. at the Riviera Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I remember seeing this as a child. Yep. And ladies wrestling doesn't have reverence that it does now. Uh, I remember seeing that and going, what? I'll, I'll I'm going to tell you something as a, it's going to sound kind of funny now as a hardcore world wrestling Federation fan growing up as a kid. I thought this glow stuff was a little too cartoonish and fake for my liking. (laughs) I was like, I just ain't buying it. <laughs> so, ironically, one of the people who started off with Glow early in her career Ivory. actually just had a birthday in November. Yes, Miss Ivory started off with Glow. So, and then she ended up being part of the revolution. By the way, that main event from what you were talking about, the second parade of champions, Dave. Fuck just just to show you how hot big the second one was compared to the first one. Yeah. Main event, one man gang versus Kerry Von Erich, hair versus hair match. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Quite a main event. Now, let's go over some births and deaths in 1985. As far as actually, births go. It was a big year for births in 1985. People were busy. March 20th, Matt Taven. Okay. March 23rd, Lana. June 6th, Drew Galloway. There you go. <laughs> there's, a bigger, 30th, there's a bigger one coming up. Cody Rhodes. There you go. <laughs> I, this might be where AJ was on the edge of his seat. July 16th, QT Marshall. <laughs> 
<laughs> you got August 2nd, Harry Smith. Yes. August 14th, former guest of the show, Jace Wright. Yes. And I was amazed these August 22nd, you got Jonathan Fatu and Josh. And oh. I'm a fucking moron. That so Yeah. I thought it was the fucking MLW world champion. And I was like, <laughs> how scary is it? You've got this monster guy or former world champion that has a twin. But it's those. I found that out live on air. That was now, I, I, I'm not gonna I, I'm not gonna go into exact dates, but you also got Tommaso Ciampa, Kurt Hawkins, Zach Ryder, Mike Canales, mm-hmm. Alistair Black. There's a ton of people just born. Davy Boy Smith Jr. was born. He said he said Harry Smith. Oh, yeah, oh gotcha. My bad. Yeah. December seventh, you got John Moxley, December 21st. Yeah, yeah, Uh, just a ton of people. And then to cap it off, I think we should probably point out Psycho Clown was uh, was born December 16th. And the big one, this is the one Dave's been waiting for. No, well, maybe. But recently (laughs) retired, Taryn Terrell. (laughs) Terrell. AJ's going to be doing our Spanish short suits. Arriba! (laughs) Arriba! (laughs) Now, deaths this year, January 21st, Eddie Graham, March 8th, That was a tough one. Eddie Graham? Yeah, that's actually an interesting one. I don't know anything about the death of Wild Bill Curley, who was born in 1913. But... Um, you know, um, just, just made me curly like a motherfucker. <laughs> but, but Eddie Graham, who actually was responsible for Florida Championship Wrestling, which produced a lot of the stars that you saw in the 80s and 70s, he actually ended up committing suicide. And it was just a terrifying thing for that community and for... Because he had done a lot in the Tampa area i'm sorry i'm trying to laugh i keep thinking of new jack i keep thinking new jack yelling great job oj another two gone well well, the the sad thing the sad the sad thing is he's not the last graham to kill himself i know that's why his son mike ends up killing himself also all right well september 1st young blood died november 1st rick mcgraw died oh rick Rick. hey let me tell you i got a story about Rick, this is a true story. This is actually pretty good. I, I, no, can't, I can't believe how much laughter we're getting out of the death. I know during the death segment of all. <laughs> we're not the guys for this. We gotta change this up a little bit. But uh, yeah, so there was a angle match done where Rick McGraw, who was basically like SD Jones, one of the enhancement guys that would get a lot of offense in, but never really win the match. Um, I think he might have been used better in some territories. But Rowdy Piper, who was such a convincing bad guy in a time where wrestling was still perceived to be real and my mom who bought into this for a little while was convinced that Rowdy Piper who was kicking him in the head at one point of the match legitimately hurt Rick took liberties with him and when Rick McGraw died she goes it's that fucking Piper's fault he did this he did this and I was like I don't think he was a kid I was like I don't think so <laughs> I'm not gonna question my mama. <laughs> now the last notable thing I have written down here is November twenty eighth. Oh, there you go. Let me tell you a story about that. So Stig ends up being one of the greats of all times. I first saw him in Mid South UWF. I thought, huh, whatever. And then I saw him like I don't know, like the way he was presented. He was like Blade Runner Rock or something. Yeah, he, he was. To be, yeah, him and Ultimate Warrior actually debuted together. I didn't see that, but I saw him as part of Hot Stuff International with Eddie Gilbert, the Hot Stuff Inc. there. And he was teaming with Rick Steiner. And he went to I thought he was fine. I never thought he was special until the one day where I saw he beat up Ric Flair and he got the better of the horse. That never happened on TV. You usually, unless the odds were even, the horseman found a way to get the advantage. Never did one good guy come in there 
beat up and then had to wherewithal to actually leave. Which is funny because later in Sting's career, he'd always be like a guy who gets turned on. And it almost became a joke that he was like, he could never see it coming. He was that baby face. But in the beginning, Sting knew what to do. He hit and run. Well, speaking of people who have turned on Sting throughout his career multiple times, Lex Luger actually debuted almost exactly one month before on Halloween. He made his debut to professional wrestling. Big Van Vader made his debut in 1985. Oh, wow. And so didn't Lisa Moretti, who went on to be Ivory. Oh, wow. Okay. So Luger, I wonder if he debuted in Florida, too. Well, actually, he did debut in Florida, and it had such an impact in Florida that Jack and Jerry Briscoe retired from wrestling in 1985, <laughs> and Eddie Graham killed himself. So I think they go hand in hand. You know what's funny? When I first saw Luger, though, I was so impressed as a kid. I'm like, wow, this guy's something special. <laughs> How is he not in the WWF? <laughs> you there with the big boys. <laughs> Uh, no, Adrian, by the way, do you have any other facts? I do. There's, a, I have a couple more people that retired for you. Um, ironically, Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson both retired that year, and then both returned to wrestling as Stooges together after retiring in the same year. Larry Henning technically retired that year after teaming with his son uh, Kurt Henning in the AWA. Um, uh, where's the other one there? There's one more here. Why am I missing it? I thought there was one more big name. Oh, uh, Wally Carbo, who had been oh. a wrestler and been a um, promoter for the AWA also retired that year. Yeah. It's actually funny you brought that up about Larry Hennig because I had something that happened on March 1st, but I skipped some of the smaller things. On March 1st, a match pitting the Road Warriors against Baron Von Raschke and Kurt Hennig in Hammond, Indiana ends in a no contest. Warriors assault referee Larry Lasowski and when Hawk strikes and bloodies Hennig with a chair shot to the head as Hennig had his head, head tangled between the top and middle rope. This caused Larry Hennig, who was on commentary, to make the run in and save his son. A fan riot broke out in the Hammond Civic Center in the aftermath. And as the Warriors and manager Paul Ellering had fight their way through the enraged fans to get to the back, one fan hit Hawk over the head with a chair during. Oh wow! Yeah, I think I, I to be honest with you, I remember the event because I remember Henning's head being stuck in the ropes with the Road Warriors. But it's like a vague memory. It's like a you know that foggy. Oh my God! I shouldn't have slept with her. I was too drunk. Memory. It's kind of like that. I was just looking up to this guy. I was curious on some other stuff. This was also the fierce year I ever saw this. I'm not a fan of this, by the way, but this is where I saw Tito Santana win the Intercontinental title back from Greg Valentine in the cage when he escaped the cage. He actually kicked the door in Valentine's head as he was trying to escape through the door. I was wondering what they were doing. I was so confused. Every cage match I had saw at that point, you still pin somebody. I'm like, what? Tito won? Like, how did this happen? Also, legendary, there was one more retirement, legendary Italian wrestler Chief J. Strongbow also retired from wrestling that year. Hey, God bless the chief. <laughs> now, do you guys have anything else to throw in for 1985? Because next week we will do fan memories and fan feedback on 1985. We we might go over the PWI rankings, just throw it out again. And we'll also <laughs> I, cover some of the women's one-fifth from Pro Wrestling Illustrated. I, covering. I actually have the PW information here and purposely did not throw it out because I had a feeling you might want to do it next week. I like doing these things where we cover the year and then the next Absolutely. week we follow up with what people thought of what they remember from that year and then my favorite set of the Pro Wrestling Illustrated was always the ranking who was ranked in Federation that I did who were big in the Federation that I was a fan of you know I, I just love that rank so much I'm, I'm looking at their national year right now and I <laughs> as a fan as a kid I probably would have been like yeah but watching it now I'm like really <laughs> we didn't have a better match that year <laughs> 
but I get it. I'll, I get why he did it. We can talk about that next, Bill. <laughs> I will say this. If you look at the Wrestling Observer and not just Pro Wrestling Illustrated, you might get a little bit more towards our taste now than back then. Right. You know, I was thinking about this total, like, this off the cuff here a little bit, but, like, Dave Meltzer, like, you know, we... Everyone get shit on him and stuff and everything with Dave. But Dave produced like a couple of DVDs or VHS tapes like with Jim Cornette looking at like classic matches and stuff like that. And they had a match like with the Sheik beat Andre like with a fireball and shit. Like so for me... That's one thing I always remember about Dave Meltzer, though, is, like, this dude's a fucking fan, and like, he has combed, like, so many hours of wrestling, and I've always appreciated about that, and as a kid, a few times, like, I got to see certain things that were, like, his magazines, or, like, you know, when I stumbled across videos, I've always appreciated that about Dave Meltzer. I'm not going to give any spoilers, but I think one of the things the fans have to look forward to is we're going to spend at least 20 to 30 minutes next week deep diving into the Rookie of the Year. I bet we will. <laughs> Well, guys, thank you for joining us. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's Working Fans Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Working Fans Wrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor FM, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 